Welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, let me pause this joint right here and we get ourselves started. Uh, we are in there going. There we go. Welcome. It's a Sunday, Sunday, the 20th, G7, Voices Without Boundaries. Once again, another good one, another good one. Um, this is a place where we all verbalize, we all um, inspire, we all aspire, we all try to bring that unification within ourselves, our communities, and the people that we are, we always find the gratitude to build ourselves, build ourselves, uh, bring that unification. And how do we do that? There's no other way uh, of doing that than reaching out to people around us. And the people around us, they have the knowledge, we have the knowledge, but it's also about exposing ourselves to finding those qualities that we have as people. And today is no exception. The, the guest that we have today is a good brother, a father, a husband, a, a writer, an entrepreneur, a leader, and he's a, a man with so many qualities that he embraces and he, he brings along that love and he brings along that leadership, which um, reflects and expresses the beauty of what we are as people once we recognize the qualities that we have inside ourselves. And I'm not by myself today. I'm with my ace, Tariq. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings, young kings and queens. On the other side. And welcome everybody else from everywhere. We have guests from South Africa and the UK and the US. And we'd like to welcome you all on G7 Voices Without Boundaries. And remember, feel free to drop a chat. At some point, we'll open up the platform for all of us to engage and to talk. And um, if you have any questions, please feel free to write it down and we'll engage. But today, we're going to listen and talk to this brother right here. And um, I, I, I would like to, I don't know how I can do this, uh, Tariq, you know, to, to, to introduce this brother right here, man, because, you know. Do it big. Yeah. <laughs> do it big, do it real big. Yeah, so uh, Brother Claude, you know, you, you, we know you, know, uh, we have known you for a long time. Uh, personally, I've known you for like nine years, uh, you know, um, and then within those nine years, I've seen you transform and transition to, to different facets. You know, before we get to the topic of today, you know, I, I want to say uh, myself and Tariq, especially, we have been honored to have been your mentees. And, uh, and, and you know what, Tariq, today is actually it's a blessing mm. because we not only have one, but we have two mentees here. You know, we I, have main bullet. I see three. Here. I see three on my end. I see <laughs> three. I see me. Three. Yes, so <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So we 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 we're really blessed. But um, uh, Brother Claude, you have given us uh, a lot of enlightenment. You have given us a lot of drive and motivation. You have lifted us. And for us, there was no other way to to pay homage to you and to bring you to our own platform and to say thank you for all that you have done and that you continue to do. And welcome to G7. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Jafet Claude. 
Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Nate and Mr. Tyreek. I definitely want to thank you both, um, G7 and Voices Without Boundaries, for this opportunity just to be on you guys' platform. I, I admire, I'm inspired, and encouraged by you know, the work that you guys are putting in and, and the atmosphere that you guys are using to expound, to expand knowledge and wisdom and insight and just empower people to act on what we already have. Uh, so we, we all have what we need right in this group and the groups that have been a part of your, your platform over the weeks and months. Uh, I believe that iron sharpens iron. And so what you guys are doing is allowing us to sharpen our iron so we can get out there and get busy. So again, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, do not take it for granted. Uh, and I, I respect and admire you both. Thank you. Thank you kindly. Thank thank you. kindly. And um, to, to get started, man, you know, we, we, we are going to talk about a, a subject today that is, um, it's very pivotal for us to talk about it rather, let me put it that way, because it's, some, it's something that we tend to veer away from, and I'll say it from a point of, as black men. So I'm not talking for black men, and I'm not talking on behalf of black men, but I'm talking about black men in general. And, um, and I understand that like different cultures deal with it to totally different from how black communities deal with trauma. We talk about black men after, black men thriving, uh, after after trauma, the after trauma, the trauma that we we as black men we we encounter and uh, and how we deal with it and how it uh, manifests within within ourselves and that in the long run we find ourselves uh, hitting a dead wall not because of the the uh, the financial constraints or the uh, relationships but because of the the anger the hatred the the, the, the wounds that are that embedded inside us. And that's the, that's the subject that we wanna uh, uh, work around today and talk about it. And I, I, I understand that um, it can be, um, it can raise a lot of emotions as well, but that's what we need. That's what we look for. And that's where the questions come in. How is it that for us as black men, we find it hard to open up why is it so hard for us as black men to find avenues that can help us or attain resources that can help us to heal ourselves? Is it because of the pride or is it because of the stigma or is it because of uh, the cultural uh, upbringing or is there other facets that we, we need to talk about? And, uh, and I know that yourself, you went through some challenges that you have encountered that have actually brought about a lot of you know trauma but you have found a way to deal with them and we're going to talk about that today but first of all and later on we're going to talk about your new book that you have that's coming up uh, the, mm -hmm. uh it's coming up in october so but for now uh i'll ask you what is trauma to you brother claude Okay, um, I believe, you know, you know, trauma is, is a dramatic experience, in some cases, multiple dramatic experiences that uh, we go through and experience, whether it's from an outside source or from people that are close to you. 
Um, in my personal experience, as you alluded to, you know, I've experienced and by the grace of God, been able to uh, have a level of healing and uh, have a level of opportunity to, to rebound and to thrive after it. But um, one that I think you're alluding to is my, to the death of my mom. You know, I was approximately four and a half, almost about five years old when my mom was shot and killed and she died right in front of me. Uh, I remember right before her death, she came up to the room to me and my babysitter and said, I'm going to go out and I'll be back. And, and then, you know, as normal, she went on down. We heard some back and forth conversation downstairs and, and it began to get loud and unruly. And then all of a sudden we heard this loud bang, this gunshot. And at the time I didn't know what it was. Mind you, I'm just, I'm just a, a very small child. And my babysitter and I became extremely nervous and concerned. And then finally we got enough courage up to try to go and see what was going on. And we came down the stairway and as we came down the stairs, I looked over the banister and looking in over the banister, I saw my mom laying there in a puddle of blood. And, and seeing her laying there in the puddle of blood, you can imagine all the emotions and thoughts that a little child is going through. And eventually I went down to her. And when I went down to her, she made the statement to me. She said, be a good boy and everything is going to be all right. And after saying that, she passed away. And so that right there was probably one of the most traumatic experiences that I have gone through in my life. And then the other traumatic things that have, uh, that have, uh, have happened after that just only compounded what I experienced in that moment. Just seeing your mom dying in front of you and her last wish and her last desire is to let you know that everything is gonna be okay and for you to be a good boy. And so in my whole life, I'm coming up on a birthday tomorrow, I'll be 50 years old. And so my whole life, I have been trying with the help of God and, and mentors and, and just opportunities that I've been privy to, to honor that request. How can I be a good boy when you're gone? How can I be a good man when life isn't what it was supposed to be? How can I accomplish my goals and thrive as your, your title for today's topic? How can I go from trauma to thriving when the very person that's supposed to be there to impart in you and to, to culture, uh, cultivate you is not there any longer? And then on top of that, you come up where you have situations where you're being brought up, in my case, where there's people who have a level of um, just immaturity in their raising you and not knowing how to properly raise you and not how to respond to trauma. In my day, uh, at least in my personal experience, I didn't go to counseling. I didn't go to therapy. I wasn't a part of the social service field. Uh, so all I had was what was my immediate surrounding and my family. And some of that was dysfunctional. <laughs> and so in doing that, and then, but the blessing in my case is I did have a, a, a spiritual foundation in my family. I had a grandparents on both sides who was very, very spiritual, very, very religious. And they believed, and not only believing, they actually practiced what they taught, which was really helpful for me. 
uh, because it helped me build a foundation on how to recover. Uh, and because I believe that, you know, it's not so much, although it is important, it is real, it's not so much trauma or either what we call at risk that prevents a child or a person uh, from succeeding after experiencing trauma, but it's the absence of hope. Mm. I believe it's the absence of hope that keeps us from reaching our purpose and our intent, our original intent for being brought into this earth. And so experiencing that death, you can imagine the hope that was taken away, even though I didn't know it was being taken away at that moment. And then as you're growing up, when you're trying to do certain things and you're like, I'm not as good as I thought I should be, but I would have been if I had this. So you hear all undertones of loss of hope. And I think in the man, in the black man and in culture in, in general, whether it's black or white, but I know that we're talking in particular, when you don't have hope and you don't have avenues that can, that can encourage and that can impart hope, then you become despair. And then you become what I call man or beast. You either become, you either operate like a man, which is a gentleman, uh, either honor, an area of honor, which of course, if you're not taught, you don't have that a teaching, or you operate like a beast, which is more like a savage. Right. And so you act, and I'm not talking, I know we use the saying, you know, he's a beast when he's playing ball or something of that nature. I'm not talking from that stance, and I'm not saying that's wrong to say, but I'm coming from the angle of savage-like attitudes, savage-like behaviors. And so me growing up trying to respond to experiencing that trauma, I had bouts of times where I stepped into that role versus not a man, but in a beast role. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what your mom desired. That's not what you was born and created to be and to do. And I had to be reminded through mentors. I believe that the greatest uh, level of leadership on the in the world is a mentor. And that's like, like the main role of a true leader is to be a mentor. And I was so blessed because I had multiple mentors uh, in my life that fit in different avenues, spiritually, financially, emotionally, different people that operated in different giftings and skill sets. Uh, in spite of the loss that I experienced, God allowed these people to have their expertise and their personal life experiences, and they was willing to share that to help me navigate through the different difficult times and experiences that I experienced. So that, that uh, I know I was a little long-winded in your question, but I just, I just believe that we can make a difference in young people and older people alike lives if we can get to a place where we can start showing them that there's an avenue to hope. And what does hope look like for that particular person? Hoping is different for different people. It could be a job for someone else. Uh, it could be a marriage. It could be um, getting out of a financial situation. It could be dealing with emotional issues. What does hope look like? And, be, and once you find what hope looks like for different people in a different group, then you have to be uh, a, what I call a hope dealer. Some say I use that term a lot, transforming followers into leaders and leaders into change agents. And, and hope dealers. So how can you, when you're a hope dealer, you find ways how to get hope into different people's life. And that's what people did for me. And that's what helped 
uh, navigate me to a place, I like to call it from the dungeon to the palace. Not the palace in the sense of rich and not the palace in the sense of uh, major prosperity things, but the palace in a mindset, a palace in a way of thinking, a palace in the way of how I carry myself and how I want those who are around me to carry themselves. Do you act like royalty? Do you see yourself as royalty? Which is why I like you guys with the young king uh, um, uh, emblems on your shirts and how you emphasize being kings and queens because that's where it comes from. And you all are, are examples of hope dealers. And so uh, I'll stop here and I answer more questions as we go, but I know sometimes I'll get a little long-winded, but I wanted to make sure I get that across. That was the first extreme trauma that I experienced, which has had long lasting effects on my life. It even affected how I date. Right, right. It affected who I dated. It affected when I was willing to get married. Uh, I found and ran into, at that time, my up and coming wife. And it took me over eight years to decide to marry her, not because she wasn't the right one, but because of the trauma that I hadn't been delivered or healed or, or cultivated from. And so I was, I was laying all my past experiences on her and how can she win? She can't win after when, with what I've been through. She can't win with trying to be what she don't even know how to solve. And I make the statement all the time, you can't find peace until you find the pieces. And, and I had to come to the realization that I had to find the pieces that led me to this unrest, to this place of not having peace in my life, and which was affecting other people. And now they're not having peace because we're magnets to each other. Right. And we model. And so a person can be around you. That's why the people talk about energy. They come around you and they can feel your energy and it can change the whole atmosphere of a room. It can change the whole way a family operates based on energy, based on your spirit, as I like to call it, based on the way you care. And so my energy was destroying my potential soulmate. Hmm. It was destroying my opportunity for find, finding my right one and treating my right one right because I hadn't been healed. So I had to go find the pieces. Uh, I remember one thing that we did, and it was years, and please understand this is a this is an overview. <laughs> I can't go through the whole thing, but I remember years yeah. later, we my wife, who at that by this time she had become my wife, she helped me continue to find pieces. I remember going and searching because I had made a commitment in my life, and it wasn't a good one. But when I was a young child, I had decided when I become of age and I get old enough. I'm going to find that person who killed my mom and I'm going to murder him. Mm -hmm. And I was committed to that decision. Mm -hmm. Even though I was, for the most part, I was a well-mannered child. For the most part, I, I followed most of the rules. But in my heart, people didn't know what was in my heart. In my heart, I had made a decision. I might not hurt no one around here, but the one who hurt me the most, I'm going to find him when I get of age. And I'm going to hurt him severely to the point of death. Imagine a child growing up thinking about murder, thinking about how they can kill someone because of the hope that was taken from them. Well, my wife helped me find some of the pieces. 
And so we went and searched for him after I had come to a place where I felt like I could provide a level of grace and a level of mercy and even ultimately forgiveness. And so we searched for him. We did our research. I mean, we was detectives um, and all that. We even got the police to send the autopsy information about my mom. And I'm reading the information and I can see what she last ate, what was on her stomach when she died. So these, these are opportunities of pieces. I'm finding the pieces now. And then I find out where he lived. I did interviews with family members where I actually recorded them on tape to interviews about my mom and how they experienced the death, how they went to court, what happened in court, what all those things. Those was my ways of, without having a therapist to tell me to do these things, it was only by the grace of God that told me what to do to help bring myself to a place of healing. And I'm doing these things, not knowing that that's what I needed to heal. And so I'm fine. I'm just thinking I want to know who my mom was. So we found where he lived and we found his wife. And when we found his wife, she said that he had died a year prior. Hmm. And so a year prior to me finding him, he had died. And so I like to say, when I think about that, Sometimes we're letting things hold us back that's already dead. Here is the man that I feel like caused so much harm in my life is dead and I'm still not able to move forward and don't know that he's dead. And so I say to those who listen, who watch, don't allow dead things to stop you from your, your potential. And some things are dead even when they are physically alive because they're dead to your purpose. They don't agree with what your purpose is. So it should be dead. So you need to let some things die. And so his wife basically apologized on his behalf and explained from their perspective what did and did not happen. And, and we was able to at least have a cordial conversation and have a level of understanding. I believe that you can't forgive in a real sincere manner until you have been in a position where you needed to be forgiven and you really wanted that forgiveness. So for me, because of me trying to be that good boy and that good man, I had hurt a lot of people. And in particularly, I hurt a lot of women. And so when I finally got my life to where I wanted to do right, I wanted forgiveness from these people that I had hurt and caused harm from. And I wanted it, when I say I wanted it, I wanted it so sincerely. I, I, I felt that deep in my heart that I did not like what I had done to people and how I had treated and misled people. And I wanted this forgiveness. Some of those people decided to freely give that forgiveness and others didn't give it at all. And others grudgingly gave it. And I knew, I started to learn how it felt to need and want forgiveness which gave me the wisdom and the insight to know that I need to be willing to give forgiveness. Which when I gave forgiveness to the man that murdered my father, I'm not saying forgiveness in the sense that this person doesn't deserve consequences. I'm not saying forgiveness to the point that you don't uh, uphold laws and principles, but I'm saying that you let things drop to where it doesn't hold you back. And it doesn't prevent you from potential from your potential and your purpose. So I say that to the black man and I say that to anybody 
that when we say forgive, and I'm even when it deal with racial issues and things of that nature, we're not, I'm not suggesting forgive from the sense that I forgive and I sit back and let wrong continue to happen. I'm not saying forgive and you don't get involved in the process of change, but I am saying I'm not going to let it stop me from getting involved in the process of change. I'm not, I'm saying I'm not going to allow my forgiveness to prevent our potential. And so that is just an overview of uh, me coming from uh, a real experience of trauma and getting to a place where I had to understand the value of forgiveness and not just forgiveness, but finding the pieces. And then in my case, and uh, I had to find the, the peace giver for me. Uh, and me, I had to look to a higher, higher being and I believe in God. And so I don't believe you can really find all the real pieces until you find the peace giver. And so when you find the peace giver, then in the, the words in a book that I read, it says that he'll give you peace that passes understanding. Somebody may say, I don't understand how you could forgive a person that killed your mom. That's what I mean by peace that passes understanding. It's not because I'm so wise and I'm so good and I'm so right. It's because something outside of me that is a part of me now help me to have a peace that doesn't make sense. That's, that's uh, so impactful, Brother Claude. I, I actually, I, I allowed myself to hold myself from interrupting you because <laughs> you was on the floor. So I didn't want to like, no, really uh, uh, put a blockage you know, in your, on your floor. But you mentioned quite a number of things that we, we see and they're so uh, exemplified in, in our everyday lives, you know, from people who have been affected by trauma. And uh, because we hold that trauma the, the, uh, in our hearts, in our, in our world, and it becomes a part of our, our lives that even when you're walking, somebody might not know that you are hurting, but deep inside, it will take one thing that's going to trigger you to release one of those elements that shows that this person is hurting because of whatever situation might have happened, you know, in their life, you know. And you mentioned counseling, you mentioned therapy, you mentioned dysfunction, you mentioned a spiritual. So all of those components that come along as well. That and Tariq, please feel free, black men, to chime in. Um, so we can uh, get this conversation going. We've got uh, a good number of black men as well in here. Yeah, and I, I also appreciate them. the fact that we have Todd as well, because Todd is going to also, you can also share with us from a, from a level of like you coming from, a, you know, as a Caucasian man, mm. how you, you, you guys, you know, embrace, you know, the whole uh, uh, healing within uh, when it comes to trauma. But uh, uh, what, Brother Claude, what you, what you mentioned, uh, uh, I have a question that I would like to ask. Um, because you, you, you experienced this firsthand and you was within that, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, particular place when it happened and then you, you are young, you're growing up and then you, you have this hurt that is inside you, you hurt him. And no one knows, you know, because you have now this, uh, I won't say it's a grudge, but you have this uh, deep uh, search inside you that I want to 
find this person and do whatever I have to do to pay back for what this person did for my mom. And then during that course, and then you, you meet your, 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 your future wife. And during that course, you find that there is also uh, these negative forces that are not giving you that relationship that you're looking for because of the past experience. And she comes in, she becomes a what? An element that helps you and supports you but because you are willing to listen. Now, my question comes, comes on this part. Is it because that most of the black men around, they are not willing to listen or is it because they don't wanna accept help when it comes from somebody else or specifically, let me put it this way. If we have um, a woman come and tell you that like, no, you need to go and look for help, you need to go and reach out for help. Uh, do you think they will listen more to a woman than they will listen to another man? Well, I believe hope is taught and hope is learned. And so what I mean by that is, whether it's a black man or otherwise, a lot of times you're not willing to take those steps because you haven't had anyone to model those steps mm -hmm. and or to teach those steps that, the, that there's a value to it. So it comes across as resisting it and shutting down because I don't have any examples where, and, and um, like I said, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, much, I'm more seasoned, I'm platinum, I got a little platinum. Uh, because of that, we wasn't going to therapy. My, at least my neighborhood wasn't. We wasn't uh, doing those things. So we didn't have those models to say that this is what needed. The only thing we had in my, and then some people didn't have that, is church. Mm. And so because of that, if, and, and if you don't even have that, you know, what do you have? And so you grow up with a mindset and you grow up with a way of thinking that I have to do it myself. And if I don't do it, it can't be done. And you don't trust. Why should I trust when I, I continue to lose hope by personal experiences, whether that's substance abuse, whether that's mental health issues, whether that's loss and family, I continue to lose. So my trust level continues to go down. So that's why I led off the answer to your question with the statement that hope is taught and hope is learned that yes, I believe that men will listen and black men will uh, uh, support another man and or woman, but a lot of times it's usually easier when you have not been taught to listen to the woman because you have allowed your your God to come down, and so now you you're not as you're not you don't have that shield up as high as you would with another man, and so sometimes we are more open, especially when it's a significant other female that you have uh, endeared to, then you tend to. Listen a little carefully. You may reject it initially, but you tend to listen a little longer and a little more. And, and, and the sad thing is sometimes they get the worst end of the bargain because right. they also get the rage just as much as they get the willingness for you finally to open up and do what they ask and suggest. They get the, all the things that come with the experiences that you've experienced. And so it takes a really, really um, special person because there's a thought, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but that you really don't know 
how difficult it is to repair a person until you try to prepare, repair them with love. You really don't know how difficult it is to repair a person until you attempt to repair them with love. When you attempt to repair people with love and they reject love, that's how you know how serious the hurt, the trauma, and the experiences is because you have no other motives. When, you, when your root of giving what you're giving, whether that's um, real practical services or whether it's theory or whether it's whatever it may be, just physical support, when you're doing it from a position and from a place of motives of love and it's still rejected, then you know that that pain and that experience is deep. So my experience that I relate to you, here I am, someone is trying to bring a level of healing with love and I'm rejecting it. They don't have ulterior motives. They don't have a plan to hurt me and to, uh, to, uh, to bring harm. But because of all the other drama, I didn't even know how to accept love. Mm. The good thing about love, it never fails. So I, I really believe that love will ultimately prevail. It, it starts off um, usually with people rejecting and people not understanding. But a person who's able to be consistent and persevere and uh, with that level of love and understand that love is different. Meaning sometimes love, you have to be stern. You have to say no. You have to say this is wrong. Other times you have to be understanding and compromising. But, there's a, but when you do it from a position of love, a man or black man will eventually, eventually open up. That's why we can't give up. As long as there's life, there's hope. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's so much content in, 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 this, yeah. in this conversation, uh, uh, Tariq, and, uh, yeah. and we're gonna try, yeah, we're gonna try our yeah. best to like, you know, accommodate it, you know, yeah, go ahead, Black man. Listen, um, Claude, you know, Dr. Claude, you, you mentioned um, your mother's death or murder at four years old. And um, then you, you, you kind of touched on your father being murdered. So at what age was that during your, you know, was your childhood or shortly after? No, my father was not murdered. My what, father, what? no, my mother was murdered. But you my said your father, father died. No, my father's still living. My father. Oh my God, what am I hearing? I don't know. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, no, he didn't die. But however... Um, they were not together at the time. And oh, okay. the stories that I get, and there's different versions of the story, was that they were in the process of considering potentially getting back together. And mm. my mom was betrayed by a friend and, and told the, the boyfriend at the time what was going on, and the boyfriend became extremely jealous. Mm. And, and that's how, what led to the murder of my mom. Uh, so, but no, my father uh, is still living. Um, Thank God for that. Yes, yes. Uh, so I was blessed to have him in my life. But even in that, when you deal with trauma, you have to ask what happened to them or what happened to a person versus what's wrong with you. So when you have a person that won't open up to a man or a woman, or you have a person that won't allow love to bring a love of healing, the first question, uh, there's a training that we do at our job called Think Trauma. 
And, and what they really are trying to inspire is think from a position of trauma versus thinking from a position of what's wrong with you. So, so you ask the question, what happened to you? So even in leading to the question about my dad and my mom, what led to my mom being in a position where one, they had to be separated, where she felt the need to be with another man, and then the other man being married and jealous, there was a lot of stuff going on. So I had to ask, what happened? Mm-hmm. And, and, and my dad, I love him. He's, he's, he, he was like I said I was. He was like that, 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 that man who acted like a beast at the stages in his early life. And so it affected everybody. It affected me. It affected my mom. And it led to them separating, which ultimately led to her death. That doesn't mean I'm blaming him. Please don't misinterpret. But I am saying that there's, 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 there's always a, a reaction to an action. And so when he is dealing with substance abuse and he's dealing with physical and mental and physical abuse and all that, and then she's trying to relieve that and get out of that situation, and then you run right into the very thing that you was running from then it leaves something for your child experience. I often say you have to confront your daddy's devils. And when I say daddy's devil, it can be physical daddy, meaning male, or it can just be generational cycles. When I say confront your daddy's devil, you have to look back, that's where the pieces come in, and say, wait a minute, because you will start to do the very thing that you hate in in another person. The very thing that you despise in those that caused the trauma or played a role in the trauma or the experiences, if you're not careful and don't understand what I'm teaching or talking about, you'll start to emulate them subconsciously and you will become your daddy. And you will become that very experience that you try to separate yourself from. So here I am, not wanting to be like daddy in that sense, because he was a good man in many other areas, but in the areas that I just mentioned, he had some real major issues. And here I am, I'm starting to act out just like him, having multiple women to the point where it it was just bad. Uh, Drinking way too much, not operating in my potential and my purpose, not having self-confidence and belief that I even had something to offer the world. All those things, because I didn't realize that I needed to be healed and that him and I needed to find a level of truth. He had to be forgiven. He had to ask for forgiveness, which he did. Um, And I had to have conversations with um, family members. All that got me to a place where I could say, you know what, I can let that thing drop. So, so So initially, no, he did not pass. Okay. We had somebody on um, live say you did say your father, but I'm going to leave that alone. I did? Um, okay, well, I apologize. <laughs> no mistake. I apologize. But, um, it's, no, it's no worries. At what age um, did you make the commitment to yourself to start living a different life? Living it within your purpose? I think, um, I think I had spurts of it from a childhood because from a childhood, I knew that there was greater and better. Uh, because like I said, I had some real sound and stable grandparents on both sides. So I was able to get 
a level of hope from them. But to really do that transformation didn't happen until my mid twenties, mm-hmm. mid to late twenties uh, is when that, that real transformation started to happen. But those years prior, those, that, that thing in my head, be a good boy, be a good man. That thing in my head, you're not your worst decision, that you're not the worst thing that has ever happened to you. Those things continue. Having a, a cousin that was like a brother that was a mentor and seeing him model a lifestyle that I wanted, those things helped me find that understanding of what my purpose and my original intent for being in this earth. Because I believe true success is not money and houses. I believe success is going after what you were born to do and be. So success, that's why we hear all these books and people have speeches on success and it's different things because it's, it's so wide in the sense that if you label it according to things and not according to purpose. And when you label it according to purpose, now success is different for you than it is for the other person because your purpose is different. And so my success may not come with a, a $5 million house Whereas another person's success may have that as a result of um, their purpose, but it's not the actual thing called success. And so that's what had to happen. And it is continuing. I'm not a finished product. It's continuing to happen with me is that I'm continuing to understand that, that, you know what, when I operate in purpose, which is always other centered, that's something I need to make sure I stress. I had to understand that purpose is other-centered. Whenever you think your purpose is self-centered, it's not purpose. Okay. <laughs> so so uh, uh, once again, for those who just joined us, this is G7 Voices Without Boundaries. And today we have uh, Dr. Jafet Claude. Dr. Jafet Claude you knows speaking on uh, Black men uh, after surviving trauma how do we deal with it? How do we face the trauma? How do we move on? How do we accommodate other people that want to come into our world? Because trauma can also be used as a camouflage to uh, repel your good vibes. You spoke about energies. Some people are really big on energy. They can sense bad energy from afar. And uh, trauma also creates isolation. We isolate ourselves, you know, and we also avoid having to do things that we are capable of doing uh, because of what has happened to us. The unfortunate part about it is that we also then tend to use that as a leverage to say, because this happened to me. <laughs> of course, yes, we, we, we fall victims to circumstances but we do overcome those circumstances. We have the ability to overcome those circumstances. And I'm saying this to say, uh, given the fact that we have all these other good men in here, and fortunate part about it is that most of them, we work with the youth that are dealing with trauma and they are young at heart and they are so oblivious of what's happening around them, but the resources are there. So how do we implant that knowledge for them to face the demons that they have? Because some of them, they actually feel comfortable to live within that 
that sector because you know what because I can get the attention that I need and I don't have to fend for myself. I don't have to look for something for myself. How do we move on from there? So I'm saying this just to open up this conversation, Brother Claude, and we'll definitely like, you know, uh, throw some more questions to you and for you to also enlighten us on some other things. Uh, Todd, I see you there, like a young man. So I really would like to just express some kind of gratitude and respect uh, for Dr. Claude for sharing your story and um, being willing to be open and transparent and to share that journey, that the deeply personal journey, which, which resonates, I think, to, was, would be able to resonate with so many people. So I just, I, I just want to say thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, my, my perspective is as a person who has worked with uh, traumatized youth in a number of different programs over, over many, many, many years. Um, for people who are in the States, they, they'll recognize uh, there's a program called Summer Youth Employment Program, which is the, the, the DC Mayor's Summer Youth Program, which pulls youth from all high schools, you know, all, all across the city, primarily African-American youth, but it's, it's, it's mixed. Um, and I've worked for, for many years with that, um, with DC Artworks, Sasha Bruce Youth Work, which is a program for youth that have found their way to the streets and don't want to go back and live, with, live in their house or can't live in their house or it'd be too dangerous to live in their house. Sasha Bruce uh, provides them shelter and services. Um, Keeley's District Boxing and Youth Center, which was an after-school program that take, took kids uh, and taught them the skills in boxing and, and also after-school help. Uh, Corcoran Program for Homeless Youth, um, Washington Tennis and Education Foundation. Um, I also managed the Go-Go Band uh, which people may find surprising, but uh, mm -hmm. our first gig was at Lord and Penitentiary when it was still a penitentiary. So I showed up with uh, the Go-Go Band and uh, we, we made it happen. Um, I also worked with a group out of New York, um, Tick and Tack, who were these bucket dancers that did head flips and things like this uh, for a long time. Um, and I also became a court-appointed guardian of a young black man who... Uh, had gone through the court system and was uh, a person who came with a lot of violence and a lot of anger and a lot of rage. But um, th those are some of my experiences. And what I thought about while you were speaking, and to answer your question, Natty, what I found in, in coming to those situations, I, I was more concerned and not paranoid, but worried that my being white would be a, a barrier, would be a, an impediment. And most of that time, that was my issue. It wasn't the issue at hand. Um, and I, what, what, I, what I have learned and discovered, and I'm gonna read something I just wrote down, and it's, and it's pretty nuanced. So, and it picks up on what you were talking about, Dr. Claude, and I think also what you, Natty, and Tariq, and others who work with youth have found, that when you, when you create and establish a relationship with, with a traumatized person that, that comes from trust, consistency, and respect that doesn't compromise the integrity of each person's self-worth or self-awareness, that's coming from a place of love. Yeah. So trust, consistency, respect. And the person that you're working with, the group that you're working with, may not even be fully aware or it may not be even apparent to them at the time, what their self-worth is. Mm -hmm. You can't compromise your own integrity as a person coming 
from that position of a, a teacher, mentor, um, you know, youth program counselor, whatever it is, you can't compromise your own integrity. But but you but but if you are establishing that sense of respect and showing respect, that doesn't compromise your integrity, showing uh, consistency and and establishing that trust, at least that's a foundation that might work. A person may be so deeply traumatized that may me, 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 may be so deeply enamored with the attention they're getting by acting out that it may be tough. But if you're in that position, in that relationship, and, and you, you are persistent and consistent and are, are not coming from um, any other place of saying, I, I want to be a, a, at least some kind of a role model. I want to I want to at least draw out of them what already exists, which is their self-worth, their self-awareness, then that's the building block. And it, it takes sometimes takes a long time. Patience yeah. is the other factor. So I just thought I would kind of add that from my own perspective and see if that resonates with other people who, who also do work in this, this arena. Absolutely. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk family, you know, uh, and again, this is an open platform and uh, bringing in information from all different facets is going to also help us to uh, dig deeper, you know, in, in, as far as this context is concerned. And, um, uh, and I know that we all have experienced or we might have seen uh, some or had a, a, a fair share of trauma in our lives, but we, we, we never had a, a moment where we can simply talk about it. And uh, it, takes, it takes one with heart and it takes time too, you know, to, to talk about trauma because, you know, you have to be in the right place, the right setting, surrounded by, by people who are fully, fully willing to support you even if when you crash after, after putting out all the, all the bones on the table. And um, please feel free to chime in. And I will, uh, before I get back to you, Brother Claude, let me read a chat here. Uh, uh, from South Africa, from my African culture, acknowledging that you are hurting and emotional, vulnerable is seen as a sign of weakness. Hence, opening up about the trauma they experienced is difficult. And uh, Jermaine Bullock responded, he said, that unfortunate viewpoint is socialized, is deeply rooted in misguided forms of masculinity. So again, it goes back to that whole thing of us as men, how do I come out? Like when they say men don't cry, and then we, we we keep on piling up all these tears that actually that's natural to cry. That's the way how you cleanse yourself. Like when somebody say clean up your desktop, you're cleaning up all the virus. So it's the same thing with us when you cry. You're cleaning up your your space, your energy, you know. But we are denied that opportunity because it looks like it's it comes off as weakness when you cry in front of people. Right. So how do we deal with those norms where people, uh, they throw those uh, stigmas that, oh, if you, if you cry as a man, you consider it weak. And, and like what my sister is saying from South Africa, that people find it hard. They want to talk, but the, the resources are also not available as well for people to find that conversation and prepare to say, okay, I'm willing to give myself like, okay, this is what happened to me. I'm not vulnerable, but I need help. 
so I can move forward. How do we deal with that? Change the narrative. Yeah, go ahead. Did you, you want to say something? Go ahead, Boo. I was saying, we, conversations like this and, um, you know, the platform that you're using, gathering the people that you have, um, consistency, we change the narrative. Because um, I'm not sure of who, who left the comment, but I, I understood everything that she was saying because um, that's something that we just recently seen um, nationally when uh, I'm, I'm not sure if everybody follows football. I mean, everybody's kind of protesting and whatnot, but Dak Prescott, the quarterback for the Cowboys, recently made a comment um, about needing help and, and seeking help through the trauma that he recently went through during COVID. For those that don't know, his brother committed suicide and he had another family member die within the last recent months. So he came out publicly and said that he needed help and he suffered and he sought help. And um, some analyst, sports analyst, viewed him as being weak because he's the captain, the team leader of America's team, which isn't fair. That's uh, to, to perpetuate that type of uh, ideology is taking multiple steps back for those that need to express that they've gone through trauma. I mean, he, before he's the quarterback, of the Cowboys, he's he's a man first. I'm sure he's a a, a father, a, a family member, a uncle, a brother. I mean, he, he he's a man that suffered, and to not give him or not allow him to show a sense of uh, vulnerability or need for uh, to to seek help, you know, because that's that's not that's but that's another part of that we, as a community, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to phrase it that way. We as a community don't necessarily do, but he did it and he's better for it. And he's still going through it, but that type of ideology needs to change. And only conversations like this and what you guys continue to do, we change that narrative. We recognize that we didn't handle that quite well. We didn't think about that, you know, uh, the long-term effects of bottling up emotions or not addressing particular uh, feelings at that point in time. And I, and I struggle with, I ain't gonna lie. I have uh, two sons and a nephew. Okay. They uh, four five and six, they live with me. And anytime they're crying or something happens to them, they fall and bump themselves. I, I, I know I'm telling them, Hey, stand up, wipe your, wipe your tears, toughen up a little bit. You're okay. Wipe it off. But at the same time, I don't want to teach them it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel hurt. It's okay to feel pain. And that's more physical, of course. But when it comes to certain emotional things that they might go through, I have to be more cognizant of allowing them to express it, allowing them to come to me as someone that you trust to come and express it to and seek those that give you that type of uh, uh, avenue. Like um, Claude and I, Claude, I love you, man. I appreciate you. I, I miss you. I miss you. <laughs> um, 
but I appreciate you sharing. And that that's hearing it. That's the second time I, I, I've heard um, from you. And it still, you know, it still gets to me. You know, it's still, you know, I see you clearer, better when I hear what you go through. You know, I, it, you made a, I think you said, and, and forgive me if I got it wrong. You said something to the effect of after the, the passing of your mother, was it your grandparents that took you on? Yes. Or, okay, so in that, this is something that resonated with me, in that happening and you going through the years of when you made up your mind, of going to uh, find the person that did it and you're going to confront them however you, at the time you felt you needed to confront them, your grandparents guided you in a particular way. And what they did, they brought out certain skill sets that you probably didn't even recognize that you had. They fed and nurtured certain seeds that were in you. And this goes back to roll call. <laughs> when it, my, my favorite word is innate. Oh, have mercy. I'm sorry. I love it. Cause it's, it, 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 it goes to so many different aspects of life. The it's, it's, it's like the, uh, the potato and the egg. Y'all heard the now The same hot water that makes the hard potato soft makes the soft egg hard. The circumstances. But it's what's inside of you, right. what's innate in you that your grandparents are able to pull out slowly. Right. But that's what the majority of the people on this uh, on this feed now, we, it is innate in us to give and to help others either youth or adults. However, it's something in our chemical makeup that we want to either give back, we want to assist, we want to pull out those particular tools, uh, feed and nurture those particular seeds that happen to Mr. Claude. That, that's, that's why we do what we do. That, I mean, that, that is the number one reason why we do it. But we must stay aware of those issues that affect the growth, the nurture of the youth that we serve in a way that we combat and change certain narratives. And it's constant, it's plenty of them that happen every day. Like to grow up as a black man in today's world has got to be, uh, we should get paid just for that. <laughs> we should we should get a uh, an income just for that on how difficult it, it, it can be. But uh to continue to do it and and nurture those seeds and and recognize the, the, the obstacles that people are going through, that is a testament of everyone here. That's definitely a testament of, of Dr. Claude, uh the, the other JC. <laughs> <laughs> not Jesus Christ, no, not Jesus know. Christ, <laughs> but but the other Jay Z. Right. So uh, uh, that's that's uh, that's very uh, insightful, Jermaine. Uh, uh, and and again, you know, when you, the analogy that you use, the egg and the potato, you know, is very uh, apparent in the world that we live in, and we see it every day, you know, where we work, and for what uh, Brother Claude uh, expressed. And I'm sure that during that time, from the moment when it happened, you was 
either an egg or a potato up to when you met you know, your, your future wife and there was transformation around that time and up to a point when you wanted to go in and, 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 and confront the gentleman that committed the crime. So again, right there, you have this whole transformation where you're coming into a realization now that the water was the trigger. The water was the trigger. So now the water becomes the element that now brings out all this uh, emotion, the anger, the frustration, and then it also brings out that happiness that you are now happy where you are because you have what? Confronted your fear and you actually allowed yourself to embrace what happened and to move on with life. That's what we're looking for. And that's something that we, we fail to, to, to reach and, 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 and grab hold with our hands as black men. You know? and, uh, and I'm saying this to say, uh, you mentioned success. Your success uh, has come not only from facing that fear, but also surrounding yourself with individuals who have empowered you. Who would you say has been your most inspiring and motivational individual that has made this world that you are in to become a reality? Um, my grandfather, uh, uh, like I keep alluding to both of them on both sides, but the one I'm talking about in particular is on my mother's side. Uh, he was probably, not probably, he was the most influential person that I've, ex I've met in my life, even up to this point. Uh, he, he, he exemplified what I believe a real man is supposed to be uh, uh, from all aspects, spiritually, emotionally, financially, how he treated his wife. I mean, he really... And when I say that, I don't mean that he was a perfect person and didn't make any mistakes, but you could really watch his life. And sometimes you don't really know a person until a person dies because that's when certain secrets come out. And that's when things come out. And when he dad died, I had already had a level of admiration for him, but the truths that came out even after his death that was supposed to be secret were even more revealing of his character and integrity, right. which, which inspired me even more to try to use him as a role model and as a mentor, uh, even from a distance. So he has been and is probably the most, and there's been many that play different roles, but when to answer your question as far as the most insp inspirational influence in my life is my grandfather. His name is um, Augusta Hall. Um, he, he was a man of faith financially. Uh, he didn't have a lot of education, but he got into a place where he left all his children a house paid for. Uh, he, and, and there's a saying that I say, it's not so much what you leave a person, but what you leave in a person. And so although he left people things, he also left things in people. And so what he left in the people, my, my family, and myself was so inspirational that it has outlived the physical things that he left. So the physical things that he left has faded in some cases, but that inward part that he imparted in us is still living. What you are getting is partly him. Mm. And so he's still living. And that's why I say with 
the work that all of us that's on this and that will watch this later and whatever, even if you're not in the human service field, you can be in business, you can be in other things, you still are imparting. What we're doing has such an effect if you are imparting. That's why I say purpose is other centered. And so you can be helping someone get out of debt. That's other centered. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what he did uh, has really not just inspired me, but has inspired others. Uh, but to go back, and if you don't mind, I think it was Todd as well as um, Bullock. They mentioned a couple of things that I thought was so true and so important. Changing the narrative, being consistent, I believe it's Todd talked about, and the motives that you come from. Those things are so key. And I also like to add to it is that some tests and or experiences that we go through uh, are used to hold us for our destiny, but not to hold us from our destiny. So certain experiences that people go through, if, and, and of course it takes a, a opportunity to step back and look at it, but when you step back and you see it from another perspective, it was used to hold you for what you were supposed to be getting and doing and becoming versus to hold you from it. Because certain pit stops or pitfalls, they are, is used to cultivate the gift that's in you. Sometimes we think a roadblock or a pitfall or a detour is preventing us from purpose and from success and from thriving when really what it is doing is actually preserving and cultivating you so that when you reach your purpose and your potential, you can thrive in it. Because the worst thing that can happen is a person that they reach levels of success prematurely. Mm. All success is not good success. Certain times, you sometimes if you're not prepared and mature and you reach a level of what we may call success, that's why our character allows us to crush what our personalities and our skill set gain. So we got certain skill sets and we got certain educations that open up doors for us, but then our character helps us fall out that door. Mm. No, lose. So that's why it's important, like when we put somebody in office and when we put somebody in a leadership position at your job and, and things like that, sometimes what's just as important, if not more important, than their ability is their integrity and is their character. Because I can I can I can enlarge your abilities, I can increase and enhance your skill set by sending you to a training and by supporting you. But it's hard to impart integrity. It's hard to impart character, especially when you're a grown man. And and because of the sake of time and because of this, I can't remember the saying, but there's a quote, I think, by Frederick Douglass that talks about broken men um, and and how it's hard to repair them. Uh, So it's hard to do that once they're grown men. It's easier when they're growing. And so my grandfather was able to impart that while I was growing. He could help shape, correct, rebuke, direct, all those type of things to where when I did fall off, I could recover because I had a foundation in place, which goes back to when we first started talking. Right. And, you know, he inspired. And so I had something to rebound on. I had something to look towards. And so we need to model uh, the very thing that we hate or dislike in people, we tend to teach them at a young age. Don't cry. You're a man. You, 
uh, we in a we come from this culture that says you're weak, like the football player. You're weak if you uh, reveal your vulnerabilities. Those are the things you tell that young boy growing up. We don't tell the young girl that in most cases. We don't tell her that. And so then when the man becomes a man, that's the very thing we despise about him. You don't cry. You don't show your emotions. You don't talk. Don't communicate, which is the thing you encouraged as a child. Don't communicate your feelings. Don't tell us how you feel. Don't. So now when you get in a relationship and you shut down and you just want to go in your man cave and not share, now she's looking somewhere else for counseling and support and all those things because what she thought and where she thought it was going to come from, you're not revealing it and allowing it in the same house that you live in. Sometimes you're alone, but you're at home with the person that you're alone with. So, uh, Mama, Mama, you are making this uh, this conversation very so uh, it's fragile already, and and we we keep wanting to bounce from what you're saying and. Uh, uh, let me say this real quick. You know, you, let me say this real quick, Dre. Yeah. But I, what I'm hearing, but first and foremost, love you, love you, Dr. Claude. Definitely do. Um, I'm hearing, you're always profound, but what I'm hearing is, is balance. Yes. That's what we need. I'm hearing balance as with a necessity. Um, but I, I also want to play devil's advocate, right? Knowing that it's easier to groom and mold the, like, the youth than an adult, right? What do you say to the individual that cannot comprehend hope? Mm -hmm. Right, you say it's taught, it's learned. Mm -hmm. but what if you can't comprehend that because the individual is not in, surrounded by the influences as you had with your grandparents or positive representation? How collectively, this is not just for Dr. Claude, but the G7 family in a whole, just to challenge ourselves, right? Of course, we have to be exemplary, but I'm curious to know what do we say to the individual that can't comprehend hope? Well, like I said earlier, I believe as long as there's life, there is hope. Mm. And so even though they can't comprehend today, doesn't Maybe. mean they won't comprehend later. Love and that. that's where I think what Todd was mentioning earlier about the persistency and the consistency of a person coming with the right motives and the intentions, consistently mm -hmm. coming with the right motives, consistently coming with the right intentions, consistently providing the right resources and services, even in spite of being rejected, in spite mm -hmm. of uh, not being understood and not being able to interpret what you're trying to give because you are your motives. And so as someone continues to do that, I believe as long as there's life, that there's hope. Now, we water the seed. Sometimes people are in seed form. So, and, and, and what I mean by being in seed form, the person that can't comprehend, right now they're in seed form. Right. But so that's why it may not come with what Dr. Claude says or in part, my efforts helped because I watered or I may have helped plant. But it may be a Tyreek or it may be a Bullock or a Demetrius or someone that will come later and be that spark or that provide that service or provide that avenue. And now all of a sudden we start seeing that person uh, evolve into what was already on the inside but was never nurtured consistently. And that's where we come in. 
So that's what I would say to that person who can't comprehend that they can't comprehend now because we all was ignorant to something at some point in our life, but now we're not ignorant to the, some of those things any longer. So the people had given up on us when we was ignorant. Then what is that? Where where would we be? All right. Can, can I chime in? Yeah. Can I chime in, good brothers? Sure, yes, indeed. Indeed. Hey. <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? I apologize. I'm in Miami. I got to cut some y'all to cut down some coconut trees and sugar cane. But um, um, everything that I think um, Mr. I mean, what's it, Mr.? But everything Jermaine and Brother Claude touched on as far as the, the child um, being taught and being brought up to say, hey, you don't cry, suck it up. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was brought up on the ballpark. You know, I was brought up playing football and um, playing ball, and all we was taught was be strong, be a beast, be an animal on the field. You won't show no emotion. Emotion is sound of weakness, you know what I'm saying? So we started teaching our kids that. You know, like Bullock said, we have a son, and Claude touched on it too. You know, my son cries, I tell him, suck it up, don't cry. Wipe your tears, it don't hurt. But which it does hurt internally. So he takes those tears, he turns them inside out, and instead of him showing that pain, he cries within. And that's what a lot of our kids are going through. They cry within and not out. And when um, brother, um, brother Simpson shared with us, how do you help with someone who doesn't have that actual village around him to build him? What do you do for that person that doesn't have those type of things? And brother Claude said, as long as they have life. I think now where we're at in the time that we're at right now, we have to tear down and reteach our youth. You have to strip them of everything to rebuild them of what we really should have been learning 50 to 70, 80 years ago. You know, um, right now, as I see the youth, I see it's not the youth that has the issue, it's the people before them that was before them that was before them that was building. We have years and years and years of, of, of misguidance. We have years of misunderstanding, years of not learning how to be a man, years of fatherless homes. We have years and years of people not really building people in a proper way of where you was building 50 to 40 or I say 60 years ago when the neighborhood raised you, when the neighbor made sure that you did the things that your parents instilled into you, of holding those values and goals. These youth now have no values. They have no goals. They have nothing to reach. Um, I talk and I watch. I don't know if you watch the podcast. But I watch a guy by the name of Gilly Gilly podcast and he was speaking on how some kids think it's cool to struggle. Like struggling is cool. Like, hey, I came from nothing. This is this is the this is the the out this is the narrative for everyone now. I came from nothing because this is the way I am because I came from nothing. But in, in actuality, they really didn't come from nothing. Some of them come from a lot. But wanna be wanna consider it as nothing because they look for the nothing in their life and not look for the something that they had in their life to build on. You know what I'm saying? So my thing is I think Brother Claude, like I said, man, good to see you, brother. First of all, how you yeah. doing? <laughs> I'm still trying to feel those shoes you left me. But um, <laughs> um I just want to say, man, the, the, the trauma that you go through and the trauma that you see, it has to be re it has to be stripped down and we have to rebuild. But it takes time. Uh, I'm dealing with a group now that's coming in. I think Brother Claude met the other day me and talking with this brother Musa. Hopefully I can get him on um, one of the podcasts. He brought to me one thing. He asked me a question. He said, Mr. Davis, if I bring the kids in the, if I bring this program in the, in the facility, what do you want to see at the end that you didn't see it before? I said, I want to see you learn how to socialize, show emotions, show feelings, 
to be able to understand the trauma and to redevelop itself from showing bad emotions and bad behaviors due to their emotions and their feelings not sharing them so they can understand how to deal with their actions so they won't have recurring trauma. A lot of our kids that come in, they have reoccurring trauma because they continue to go out and hurt and continue to go through the trauma. So it's reoccurring due to the fact they never dealt with the first time. So if they don't have the social skills to learn how to do trauma, they will reoccur the trauma that they have been through all their life. It's just that, like I said, again, we have to tear down, rebuild, and teach. And it takes time. That's one thing that you never get back in life is time. You can get back money. You can get back a lot of things. But putting the time in, time is worth more than anything. Me and my father had a conversation last night. He was like, money is there, which I agree at times. Because he told me, he's like, going to grocery store, fill a basket up with groceries, and try to leave out. And if you don't have the money to pay for it, what are they going to tell you to do? Put it back. But my thing is, what about the time that you have to put in with people? The time, just a little bit of time to actually put in to actually help that person rebuild. Me dealing with kids, a lot of times, I don't think I have enough time in the day to actually deal with the trauma kids that I deal with at work. We're working on an eight-hour schedule. Um, I'm working against the time because a lot of things are going on. And so at one time, I said, man, if I was on a 12-hour schedule, it'd have me a chance to build for, for four days and then give me a chance to re-energize myself and go out for three days and come back and build again for another four days. So my thing is, you have the trauma part of it and make, making sure that we reteach and retrain and relearn is a big part of what we need to do with our youth sense and actually your question of the ones that don't have hope. We have to tear them down and take them out of that place and you have to rebuild them up. What it looks like, it looks like a lot of components but we as a, as a family, as a community, have to put those components together to put it in an actual priority style to make sure that we reach it and we, we're teaching it the proper way that it should be taught. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, Dimitri. Um, brother, I might not be here as long. I got to go outside my father. No, no, <laughs> no. right, man. I'm in Miami, y'all. apologize. You couldn't grab and stuff, so... Appreciate y'all, brothers. I had to join in today. I know I've been telling Naughty for the last couple of weeks. Salute y'all, brothers. Y'all keep up the good work. I will watch the live. I know you're recording, so I will come back and um, see everything you're putting down. But y'all keep it up, man. I'll holler at y'all later. Thank All right, you, now. Peace, brother. Get you. Right, so, uh, Brother Claude, and, uh, and um, this, the, the one word that keeps coming up, consistency, consistency. And that consistency is seen around, you know, um, from, from a spectrum where we are as black men who work with youth that are impacted by trauma. And we see some of them say, oh, I can't sleep with my light off. Or they stay up the whole night, you know, especially for the youngers who are detained. You know, they can't sleep even by themselves in their rooms because they keep saying, I hear voices or I'm scared to sleep. But because there is something that is embedded within that particular youngin, for them to feel that way. But it also takes an individual to understand what trauma looks like and what trauma sounds like. So if you hear somebody uh, say something that pretty much sounds like trauma, how do you deal with it? So for yourself, and uh, there's a question that was asked by, uh, by Nikia here. I will read it for you, Brother Close, so I don't... Um, she said, 
apologize, sorry. Well, in all she said, uh, how have the, the women in your world, how have they changed your perception and how you deal with women from your mother, from your grandmother, your wife and your daughter? How have they changed your perception on how you look and treat women? Wow. Um, and uh, in a manner in which it's hard to describe because they have played such a major role. And I don't, and we, I know it's so important to give women their true value because if it wasn't for uh, my grandmothers on both sides and, and then meeting like my uh, godmother and other women that have really played major effects in my life, I don't think I would know how to love a woman and how to treat them in a, a level of respect. Uh, uh, what they wouldn't allow has played just as much a role as what they did. Uh, be, uh, my wife in particular, I like to point her out when I first met her, uh, although I remember taking her out on a date and I went to go get in my car and I thought I was this man, I thought I was the man or whatever. Date, and I went to go get in and she was standing at her door and wouldn't, wouldn't open the door to get in her car. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong? So then she's like, well, I was brought up. My dad opened the door for my mom and I'm waiting for you to come around here and open the door. And it was something as small as that, that, that made me say, wait a minute, I like her values. I like her, her the morals and where she came from. And, and so, I walked around and I opened the door and I continue to do it as much as I can possible now uh, and try to be consistent. But just something as small, it seems small, it has played a role because now I, am, I try to impart those same principles and practices to my daughter. Uh, one of my books that I wrote, the dedication is to my daughter. And, um, and the first book, I didn't dedicate it to her. The second one I did. And the one that I dedicated to her would seem to be the one that you wouldn't dedicate to a child, especially a female child, because of the title. And the title is Silly Women, Simple-Minded Men, and Good Girls with Bad Names. So you would think, why would you dedicate a book that calls women silly and good girls with bad names to your child that you say that you love so much. Mm. And of course it comes with what was actually in the book. The title gets you there, but the information that's in there is more healing and it's more directive. But my key is I want to impart and navigate her so that she doesn't have to live those labels. And if she ever experienced those labels, that she would have the tools to be navigated through it. And so, that's what I believe a good father is supposed to be, a person that can navigate and coach and support. And so that's why I did that. So to answer that question, they have played a major role um, in believing in myself, uh, showing me support when I couldn't find a male to support me in different areas. Uh, the women have just been a major role in all, I think, all of our lives. A lot of us was brought up without a father in our life. And so women have really played such a critical role in our life. And I don't think that they really get the, uh, uh, the value that they need or they deserve. But yes, that's, that's what has happened for me. 
So uh, there's a question here, Brother Claude. Uh, Greg, he asked the question, how, how do we become better gatekeepers to our youth along with holding our peers and elders accountable? It appears that our system is designed to react instead of prevent black youth from uh, falling in the cycle of destruction. I think it's important to be more proactive than reactive. And I think uh, I was, uh, when I first came into the human service field, I was working in independent living and I was starting to get families that would come to me and they would ask me for services, but the services that they were asking for was preventive services and there was none. I always had to tell them I didn't have anything. I had to wait till the child got in trouble before I could provide services. And I was close to the DMV. I was in Baltimore, so I'm in the DMV area. So there's multiple resources available but they were only available for those who actually were in the crisis that was in the midst of the behaviors. And so that's right. what I think would be a better way of being a gatekeeper is being in a, a proactive role, uh, a preventive role, uh, and a role where you... Um, it's computer dot. Yeah, so unfortunately, we lost Brother Claw right there. Uh, uh, hopefully, you'll join us back again. Uh, Shaman had wrote something here. She said, trauma is normalized in some communities. Look at the shootings, crime, death, even in D.C. It's not normal to be shot at or shooting. It's normal to be arrested and repeatedly going through the system. It's not normal to have a community of kids dying before they reach 21 from violence. And we see that every day. And it's, it's something that we, we have become so immune to. And again, sorry okay. about that. It's okay, Brother Claude. Knows the government tried to cut off Claude's I know. message. <laughs> 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 it's a conspiracy. Not, not the DC government. Not the DC government. You're giving away too much. <laughs> right. But as you were saying, Brother Claude, because again, uh, I know that this conversation is, uh, is a very. Uh, it's a, it's a, it has a lot of um, depth in it. We have to dig deep inside. We have to excavate like all the, 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 uh, the information that is in there for us to be able to, we, we may not have the answer today, but the answers are all around us. And you coming through to expound on it because you have lived that moment. You live that moment and you forever leave that moment. So you choose to either activate that memory to remember that or to keep going forward. And I'm saying this to say, uh, because of the time that we have had, of course, time moved by so quick, you know, when we're having fun, you know, time just cruises by. But I'll, I'll, be, I'll be amiss if, I, if I, I don't allow you to speak like for another like two minutes or so about your new book that's coming up. And I know we didn't touch best much on the book, but for at least for people to know where they can reach, reach out to get the book. And uh, so can you speak more about your new book that's coming up, Brother Claude? Yes, sir. And uh, thank you again. And actually, we talked about it. Uh, a lot of the conversation that we talked about today is actually in the book. And there's even more in depth. Uh, the most recent book that I've I'm publishing and have published is, as I said, is silly women, simple-minded men, 
and good girls with bad names. And the gist of what that book is trying to accomplish is to let people know that you are not your worst decisions, nor are you the worst situations that has ever happened to you. And so that book guides uh, a person from different perspectives to prevent them from labels and uh, making certain decisions, as well as how to respond after you made certain decisions. It's a balanced book where it's not just about women, but it's about men. That's why the middle of the title is Simple-Minded Men. So it's not just addressing challenges that ladies and women go through, but it's also addressing challenges that men go through. Uh, one of the points that I address in the book is man or beast. Are you operating like a man or a beast? Another point I address in the book is sitting in the lap of death. Sometimes we are sitting in situations that is potentially going to kill you. Uh, I alluded to earlier with my mom being murdered. I have a picture that I saw years later where she was sitting in the lap of this man and not knowing when I did my research that that was the very man that murdered her. So she was sitting in the lap of her potential physical death. And then I looked at me personally, how many people have I laid my head in lap that I was their mental and their spiritual death? So I was, I was their death because I was not providing life. So that's where the, the book is going to address. There's so much more in it. I hope that your listeners and viewers would consider uh, purchasing it right now. I'm doing pre-sales. So you can, um, if you follow me on Facebook, you can go to J.L. Sean Claude. That's J-L-S-H-A-U-N Claude. Or you can go to Dr. D-R. Jefeth Claude and 100. That's the 100-4 works either one on Facebook and you can instant message me and uh, we have a cash app. Uh, you can go, which is dollar sign, Dr. Jefeth Cloyd cash, uh, the dollar sign, Dr. Jefeth Cloyd. And it's $20 uh, to pre-order. You will receive not only a copy of a book, but you will, it will be signed. Also you will receive uh, a personalized change agent, wristband it says hope dealer and then it says change agent so the people who ordered the books in the pre-orders they would get a copy of the book as well as a bracelet and i know you will be inspired and encouraged it can be used for young people as well as older alike uh the book so i'm hoping that people will look at that also on twitter uh twitter at dr jeff claude twitter at dr jeff claude so, and I, my first book, and I know you, uh, I think they really go together. And I know it's not about me promoting and all that, but I want to make sure I emphasize. It's called, Do You See What I'm Saying? The Journey to Your Destiny Through Vision and the Spoken Word. Do you see what I'm saying? The Journey to Your Destiny Through Vision and the Spoken Word. They go hand in hand because it talks about purpose in that book. It talks about how you are what you say and what you conceive, believe, and you will receive. And it's not just from a speak it and receive it perspective, but it's also from a perspective that you got to put some work in and that you're going to run into some downfalls and failures, but you can recover. So I hope you and your guys and everyone that watch would uh, consider that. If you want to pre-order, you can do that today. I saw Brother uh, Tyreek, he just put his order in. Uh, again, that's dollar sign, Dr. Jeff. I cannot do a, a personal launch this year 
When I published my first book, we had a nice launch. We did it on a boat. People came out, it was really, really nice. But due to the pandemic, we're gonna to have to do a virtual launch this year. So when this book officially comes out and it should be officially out within the first or second week in October, uh, we're gonna do a virtual launch. So we're gonna invite the pre-order people as well as those who hadn't ordered to come and do a launch party with us and we're gonna have some other surprises and offers. Well, can you put it in the chat first? Can you put it in the chat, all your information? Yes. Yeah, we appreciate Brother Claude and once again to everybody who joined us today for this very insightful and uh, enlightening uh, uh, conversation with Dr. Jafet Claude. Uh, we thank you all for sharing this morning with us. And as always, you know, we appreciate you got, uh, uh, guys coming through and uh, to everybody in South Africa and, uh, and, and everywhere in the world, we appreciate you for your loyalty. You know, like we always say, we are small fish in an ocean, but we, 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 we're swimming through. Swimming. We're swimming through, yeah, we're making it happen. So never give up on your dreams, never give up on your hopes, and uh, always believe that there is something that's gonna happen you know, in, the, in the near future for you and everyone who's around you. Um, with that said, you know, it's hard to say goodbye, but you know, we meet to part and we part to meet. You know, Brother Claude, I'm catching up with you, you know, and. Uh, and uh, uh, we hope that everybody has a, a good Sunday. And uh, Tariq, do you have anything that you wanna chime on before we roll out? I can't hear you, black man. Tariq, we can't hear you. So, can't something hear you. wrong with it. Yeah, we can hear you now. No, we can't hear you, bro. Can't hear nothing? No. We can hear you now. It's okay. Y'all know what I said. Blessings. I bet. bet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you say, you'll know what I say. <laughs> All right. And thank you, Jimmy, for coming through. Black man, it's always good to see your face, young king. You know, Todd, thank you very much. Yes. And Miss Reiner over there, we appreciate you for your loyalty every, every Sunday. Thank you very much. Hey, Zachary, we appreciate you. Sham, as always. Absolutely. Dre, Andre Phillips. It's good to have you on G7, my man. Thank you, black man. Nikia, we appreciate you. Tara, thank you very kindly. And Nancy, thank you very much. And Todd, I see you. Rise up, America, rise up. Rise up, everyone. As always, see you. And that'd be me. See you all. Thank you again. Thank you, tell Paul, stay appreciate. back for a minute. What's up, black man? Tell Paul, stay back for a minute. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Claude, yeah, don't hang up. Uh, talk to you in a few minutes yeah thank okay. you everybody for coming through i appreciate you thank you thank you that was g7 voices without boundaries thank you as always hope to see you again next week sunday peace and love and happiness thank you kindly thank you kindly six seven eight nine